Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Morning, everyone. Hope you've had a great week. And hey, I am super excited to bring to you today a bit of a long potty actually. We did it in two parts. I talked to Dr. Dan Plews and I canvassed his audience for some super interesting questions and we take a deep dive into things related to continuous glucose monitors, to ketogenic diets, to hit based training, exercise physiology, a whole host of things but it's really based on sort of that not only performance and athlete but also optimal health and well-being which is sort of a space that both Dan and I are super interested in and so we also have a just really good conversation around the things that we do. You know we're basically having a conversation where at the end of it I almost sort of wish on other times, man, I wish I recorded that. And today is that sort of conversation, so hopefully you enjoy it. And it is in two parts. Now, before we go any further, for those of you who are not aware, uh, Dr. Dan Plews, he is many things. He is a an applied exercise physiologist. He is the founder of Endure IQ, which is an online endurance coaching community and service. Uh, Dan is the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon Age Group World Record Holder and he got around that course in 8.24 and that was set in 2018 and whilst doing it he was a low carbohydrate athlete and we do talk a little bit about what he did with that particular race. He's a coach himself, he's coached three professional Ironman triathletes to sub eight hours, including Terenzo Bazzoni, Jan Van Berkel and Tim Van Berkel. He's consulted with New Zealand Rowing and earlier this year he was in the role of High Performance Manager for Team Emirates New Zealand in the America's Cup, which of course we went on to win, so you know he has a lot of strings to his bow. Now we recorded the first part before lockdown and then we lost actually the last part of our conversation so we jumped back on in during lockdown and finished that conversation off. So what I've done for this episode which is supported by Balance Sports Nutrition is I've got a little interlude and this is actually your opportunity to connect with me over this episode and win yourself some protein powder thanks to my friends at Balanced Sports Nutrition uh, which is one of the protein powders which I absolutely love but you'll hear more about that in the interlude. Now please enjoy this conversation with Dan Close. Dr. Dan Close. Hello. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for, um, this is the first time we've actually managed to get our ducks in a row and actually meet up in person. I know, amazing. Casa de la Plus, so. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I had to like, you know, almost buy a plane ticket to get here. Mm. It's so mm. far out of Auckland. <laughs> Beautiful view though, Dan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, apparently, I was reading the podcast the other day that um, having the bit a large visual field is quite important for your parasympathetic activation. So that is true. Do you know? Okay, so we must be must have been listening to the same one. Yeah, yeah, Huberman. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. 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 So, my question is, during winter time, right? Yeah. You get up in the morning. Typically, for people like us, it will probably be dark. And then you look at your phone. No, I don't look at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good. Yeah. I like I, wow. I withhold that until later on. But that natural light, actually, like you don't get natural light for at no, least a exactly. couple of hours. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. But I mean, I guess because he was saying that the first thing you need to do is go out and get some natural light, right? But it's yeah. impossible, especially if. I mean, for me, half the time I go to a swimming pool as well, there's no natural light in there either. Yeah. It's dark, so. It sort of speaks to the time that he usually gets up. Mm, like, yeah. lazy o'clock. Yeah. Like seven or yeah. eight. I actually, in. I included him in my, um, in the, in my weekly, in my bi-weekly newsletter that, because it, I found his story fascinating. Yeah. Because he was such a, from, from a background that you would never believe that he'd get tenure at Stanford from, it's amazing. It's a good, it's a good story. So anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, Brew Up, can anyone sign up for that? Anyone can sign up for the Brew Up, yeah. So cool. um, the Brew Up, well, man, we've, we've got a plug straight away and it's only, what, a few minutes in? <laughs> um, the Brew Up is a bi-weekly, bi-weekly newsletter where I just give five top tips of, it has a podcast, an article I've read, some new science, some new technology. Um, yeah, it's quite popular as well. Actually, people like it. It's like more than ten thousand subscribers now. Oh wow! So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I mean, we like to build that up, and yeah, it's, it's really good. So um, I, I'm actually, I think, you know, people get spammed by a lot of newsletters, but fortunately, we've had, you know, often people will say it's the one newsletter I actually read, you know, and don't just put straight into the junk. So, well, I love it, even yeah. the ones that don't mention me. Yeah, yeah. But, but this week, yes. You're in there. You're mentioned. I know. I know. So, I was stoked. The cold thermogenesis um, blog. So it's good. It's good for the geeks amongst us. Which let's be fair. Yeah. Most, but not My, only that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think like with anything, it is when you listen to a podcast, you read an article, and I even have this same thing with my, my students. Is that. You know, I want someone to read an article, read a journal paper, read a read a blog, and put it down and go. I can do something. I, I can try that. I can yeah. change. And I think even with podcasts, you know, what's people's favorite bits are like a book that listen about a, a good book or a morning routine that they can try. People like that kind of thing, and that's what we try and do in the brew up. Is that you know, it gives you something to read, something to listen to, a workout mm. that you can try. You know, and some a bit of the latest science to keep you up to date. So that's kind of the way we we roll with it. Nice and. Uh, um, back to Huberman, though. Um, very interesting character, I agree. Um, super intelligent. One thing is, though, like I feel like his um, he's expanded his repertoire to go beyond his professional expertise, which is not a problem, but I do remember him, like a whole big podcast on fat loss, we're using exercise and, and yeah, fueling right. before and after and just some of the things. And I was like, I just don't know that you're right about that. Not that he has to be right 100% yeah, yeah, of the yeah. time. Yeah. But you know, like yeah, when yeah. You, yeah. he's sort of like, he's got a media machine behind him now. Yeah, exactly. Which has then sort of said to him, okay, you've got to go onto these topics. And I think he said that in Tim yeah. Ferriss, you've got to go into these other things which people are super interested in as well. He does an amazing job 90% yeah. of the time. But I think everyone gets guilty of that, like, if, as soon as you're an expert in the area of nutrition or whatever, people, mm. or you're a doctor in, in physiology or whatever, people think you know everything about everything. And yeah, like the yeah. amount of questions people ask me about the COVID vaccine, and I'm like, 
I don't, I don't really know, you know, why are you asking me these questions? Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah, know, but yeah. people just assume, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting, it's easy to get sucked in, right? Yeah. So. Although I'm loving his podcast and I'm super thrilled with it because, and that's the great thing about, I suppose, like you hear someone on Tim Ferriss and then you're like, oh, you've got like 18 other episodes of things which I'm super interested mm-hmm. in that you can then use on your long run. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, podcasts are podcasts. That's what seen people do. Like now people interview podcasters or interviewing the other people who have the podcast and then so many people have podcasts now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the yeah. thing to do, Dan. Yeah, well, you have yet to do it. No, I'm trying to, trying to hold back a little bit, but um, no, I don't know if any time soon I'll do one, but. Um, but I get to go on podcasts like yours, so why, why do I need to? Then I don't have to do any of the editing either. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. All right. So um, what I wanted to do today, Dan, was sort of just have a conversation, basically, and then uh, get questions from your audience, a few from my audience. Uh, we've got like nine or ten of them, because in part because a lot of people – are like us, but mm. like you sort of want to hear, be a fly on the wall yeah. for general chit chat that, yeah. you know, people like us might sit down and just discuss because we're geeks. Yeah. We live it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm, I'm going to start right from the beginning. Actually, this one's from Katie Boyd. Oh. You'll know Katie. I do know Katie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And she just really wanted to know. She's going to throw me a curveball. Not at all. Actually, this is quite a nice scene setter. Okay. Um, was he an athlete in his younger years, and when did he start endurance exercise? Oh, wow. So, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was an athlete in my younger years. I actually started training. I mean, I did my first swim run event when I was nine years old. Were your parents active? Yeah, my, my dad was active. So my dad was a good cyclist. Yeah. Um, he took up marathon running um, just because... I think he had like me and my brother, and then you kind of think, hang on a minute, cycling takes one is cycling is quite dangerous, and two is cycling mm-hmm. takes up a lot of time. So he took up marathon running, and and then obviously he went to triathlon. So um, I mean, my first memories were, you know, my progression as an athlete. I used to cycle when my dad was training for his marathon when he mm. was when he was running, and then from there, you know, eventually, you know, I'll be too fast. I mean, I remember I used to be able to just be able to keep up with him because I was that young. But then you know, you progress, and then we go riding together, and then eventually. I was faster than him. So yeah. I think I, I think I actually outsplit him on a bike. We did a triathlon, <laughs> Sheffield triathlon, and I outsplit him um the bike split when I was twelve. Mate. And then it just And he was mortified. <laughs> he beat me overall, but he was it happened and it happened quite early in the year. I mean, by the time I was fourteen I was I was beating him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so from there then Dan, like just sort of talk me through your progression through your teenage years. Yeah, so um, so then I was yeah I took it I got pretty into triathlon obviously I was in the British team I was on then we had like it was I was on lottery I had lottery funding for it was like then it was called the world class potential team so it was like people who youngsters who might go to the Olympics and you know you get a bit of funding um, and I was national junior champion national mm. youth champion went to the um European Junior Championships and 23s but I never really I just never really was quick enough at running basically because mm. um one of the things that really happened I had it was my last year as a junior and I actually took a year out of university um so I finished my t- finished my A levels which is I don't know if I had that 
It's form seven. Right, yeah, yeah okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So I finished my A-levels, then I had a, a year where I thought, right, I'm just going to train for a year because that was supposed to be my final year as a junior and I wanted to you know, try and get a medal at the World Junior Championships. And then it was Olympic distance. Mm. So, um, and I've, you know, really trained hard and focused on that for a year. But in that year, um, the whole th- um, ITU completely changed everything and they moved me from last year junior to first year under 23. Oh. And... Yeah, and that kind of unrailed that whole that whole thing, and then and then after that, and that's just when I was at Loughborough. Then I did my Loughborough. I tried to you know race at under twenty three. Yeah, race at I was at Loughborough University studying, but then um, kind of then like you had people like Will Clark, and um, these are the people before John, the Brownleys who just suddenly came out and they were just beating us by miles. Mm. You mm. know, so that was kind of the end of. The end of that, um, and then I went into doing, um, finished my degree and went into doing a, a master's. And I think that point there was a point where I kind of stopped training as much, well, not focusing as much, and and shifted my focus more to academics. Okay, and so did your sporting career influence where you wanted to go with your career, or was it sort of was that something you discovered later? Like, no, I mean, I've always had a very keen understanding. Um, passion for understanding performance I think I remember like when I was at when I was on holiday we used to go with my family holiday we used to go to a place called Club Santa, which is like a big sporting um it's like basically it's a, it's a holiday resort for sports fanatics like freaks like Patrick Lang is always there and oh. Lucy Charles is always there they, you always see them on there so we, we had a timeshare there and we'd go there um every Christmas time basically and um and part of it, you could do like a, some a Conconi test, which is like um, basically it's a testing where you it's an incremental test and you get to see your heart rate. And you look at the heart rate reflection deflection point. And I remember just fascinating me, so interesting. And then, and that's kind of what made me very interested in data and physiology and training. Um, but I think I, you know, that's what I did. I did a, a, a undergraduate. I did sports science at Loughborough, but you know, I was there primarily because that's where the British team was placed yeah okay um so can't say i was the best student but once i finished my undergraduate i mean i, oh, I was i mean i still got a second class honors and i got through with very little studying mm. um and i remember i mean this, this is how bad i was i was i literally i was with my girlfriend at the time i said to her in like the final year i was like and how do you get a book out from the library exactly she looked at me how do you not know to get a book out <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. yeah but um, but you know i managed to turn it around so um yeah so dan how did you go from loughborough how did you end up in new zealand so to just walk us through that and then i want to ask you a little bit about your transition from or getting back into triathlon yeah and, and everything well i don't yeah okay so so from loughborough i went to leeds at leeds i, I was in a, a leeds university and i was a, a, i had a scholarship there mm. um with the british triathlon federation as it was a coaching scholarship so they paid for my master's and i was the assistant coach at the, at the leeds where, and at the time Alistair Brownlee was a junior. So that year I was there, he won the juniors for the first time, the mm. World Junior Championships for the first time. Johnny was there as well. But well, at that time, like, Alistair was maybe 17. So Johnny was like 14. Wow. So, so like, you know, in that gap, at that time, Johnny just seemed so young because yeah. of, you know, the gap between 17 and 14. And um, so I went from there, I finished my, finished my, did that, finished my master's. From my master's, I went over to Singapore doing a coaching role, purely coaching, not, not, um, sports science, but it was coaching like expats. Okay. Um, and then from there, I actually, at the same time I was in Singapore, I then got a job working for the Singapore sports 
Institute, which then took, because I realized I was quite into the science and the physiology, which took me straight into more of the physiology side. Mm. Um, when I was there, I met Paul Wilson, who's mm. has been on your podcast and um, was my PhD supervisor. He got a job over in New Zealand working for High Performance Sport New Zealand. So he brought me over doing a PhD scholarship. And um, so I came over to New Zealand, started my PhD scholarship, started working with Rowing New Zealand mm-hmm. um, shortly after, was there for um, the two Olympic cycles, so London and Rio. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of... I'm still here and um, now working with women's kayak and um, yeah, doing my own business and whatnot. So amazing. Yeah, yeah. So alongside that, of course, it wasn't just your coaching and your academics, but you were you got back into triathlon. Is that right? Well, I don't think I ever stopped. Really, okay. I always did it. I was mm. still doing it. Even in Singapore, I was still racing and competing, and I was doing. I mean, I was doing pretty well on the Asian circuit still. Um, I never really stopped, but I think the biggest transition was moving to a longer distance. I was so much better. <laughs> yeah, because you were like, like a so, bit of a workhorse. Oh yeah, I don't know. It just it just suited me so much more. I mean, I like the main problem with um, me doing the Olympics is I just I could not run fast enough. I was mm. not a fast enough runner. But as soon as I went from Olympic distance to Ironman distance, my running went from my weakness to my to my best yeah amazing um you know massive difference and that just it was so refreshing because i would come out i would get onto the run thinking oh great now i'm gonna you know just try and keep up but like you know i'm on, i can get into the run and now i'm gonna catch people up which is um so it's just way better and it just just suits me more and uh, yeah i think it's better for my physiology better for my training so mm. is it your cadence my does that have, does that I ask because my cadence is so slow. So it, so what I really try to focus on when I'm running park run, right? Yeah. Is uh uh turn your legs over quicker. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm so slow, like I don't know, I can't recall what the what what the average cadence should be, but I'm at least I'm right at the bottom yeah, of where you my should cadence be. is pretty slow. So I mean I work in uh so it'll be most people around ninety is, is optimal. I, I I run a marathon about eighty five, so I am a bit I am a bit less, a bit slower, maybe. I'm like sixty seven. That's ridiculous. It's like it is. Yeah, I just I'm like I try. Like imagine how good I could be is what mm. I think in my head. That's really really slow. Yeah. So um, Dan, then with regards to obviously you're more suited to the long distance triathlon, and of course people will know you as the age group champion in Kona and your ketogenic sort of journey in that long distance sort of sport. How did you transition from? Well, I assume there was a transition to low carbohydrate for you. When did that happen? Yeah. And, and why? So um happened in 2012, and I remember it specifically because it was uh, when I decided to take it on, mm. I was actually in the Olympic Village in mm. London. Um, One McDonald's fry too many? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, you try going on a low-carbohydrate diet in the Olympic Village, it's not that easy, I can <laughs> no. tell you that much. Um, so that's, it was all because basically Tim Notes was talking about it, and I was talking with Prof, and I knew he was trying it. And um, and I think I first started off with more going, well, I had to use the word paleo, but it was kind of more yeah, yeah. A paleo kind of thing. And then and then gradually, you know, just through talking with with Prof and talking and reading what Tim Nose was talking about, I gradually brought my, you know, I kind of think, hang on a minute, I didn't really need to. I used to be obsessed with carbohydrates, I think I had to eat it. And then I started taking less and less and I was finding I was absolutely fine. It's mm. kind of baffled me that I could still ride for four hours without without necessarily taking anything on. Um, but I think 
you know, I, I, this is what, you know, one of the reasons that we, I built a course in this area is because I had to learn the hard way, you know, and I went really, really low ketogenic. And then gradually over time, I think I've just kind of found a happy medium mm. where it's generally low. You're generally mm. low in carbohydrate with, with um, a little bit of carbohydrate periodization here and there. I think, you know, everyone talks about carbohydrate periodization and I think that is the way forward. Mm. But, you know, most people get it wrong in that it's, they have this idea that you have periodized periods of low carbohydrate, whereas I believe that you should have generally be low carbohydrate and periodized periods of higher carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah, the opposite yeah. way around. Yeah, it's interesting. Makes way more sense from just a satiation point of view and training perspective and mm. um, everything else. So, mm. so I'm, I'm going to move into one of the questions that I got for you, which was just ask someone just wanted to know about your energy source that you used in the ride and the run to achieve what you did at Kona. And I know that you've done a few Vimeo videos on yeah. this and, and have a blog, but you know, you were, you used ketogenic and periodized carbs for your sort of race buildup. I was never say I was ever ketogenic. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I was in the early stages when I was trying things out, I think I did go to a ketogenic stage, but I just found it wasn't, I didn't need to, and I didn't find it very beneficial either mm. um i think i think naturally the reason i don't think you need to is because if you're an endurance athlete and you you train first thing in the morning and you you'll naturally go into keto ketosis anyway yeah, you know, yeah. induced ketosis so you don't have to worry about it i mean i have so many people that say oh i'll wake up in the morning and i take my ketones and they're not you know they're not they're not 0.5 but it doesn't matter i mean as soon as they do some exercise they'll be they'll be ramped right up so um yeah so i'd not not ketogenic but to ask, answer that question i you know i do take this kind of train low race high approach um and for the race i was around 50 grams of carbs per hour mm. on the on the bike mm-hmm. um which was in the form of maltodextrin mm-hmm. and then on the run i just i just took what i could really yeah, and yeah. i took i mean i remember specifically grabbing two gels yeah at an aid station so that's what, 50 grams 60 grams for an entire marathon yeah um and then i'd just take everything else that i could along the way just through the a stations really but yeah i mean i think you know if you've got a good fat metabolism and you you get close to 50 60 grams per hour and you're not really going pushing yourself i mean i think i average like 260 watts for that for the for that race and i i went really like four on i reckon i could do a bit i could have done a bit more i was pretty comfortable doing that which is why i ended up having a good run yeah i got off the bike quite comfortably and i also think i got off the bike quite topped up yeah you know in terms of um both hydration and carbohydrate stores okay so, so was that strategic your sort of 260 did you know that that was going to be comfortable for you or was that like um a surprise i was uh I, I knew that would be comfortable but i was just kind of trying to you know keep within the race sort of thing yeah it just just kind of happened that that you know just happened that that was the way and I knew that um I knew I was running very well Mm. coming into that race so I I um I knew that I could run a very fast marathon so I wasn't really that fussed about being in front you know Mm. I knew that I could get onto the run and and have a good one so and as they say, you know, cycle for show, run for dough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah and it's like the marathon is so important. Yeah. 
you mentioned the carbs. What other fuel sources did you have? Did you take ketones? Did had you... some, I had some ketones in my bottle. Which was Esters a, or salts? Uh, it was a 1,3-butane dial, which is an ester. Yeah. But it's not like the monoesters that you can get now, so it's it's not as potent. Mm. Um, and whether that did anything, I don't know, who knows? Yeah. Who it's knows? interesting with ketones. I um, yeah. have a conversation with Brianna Stubbs yeah. about um, ketones. She's never been ketogenic or particularly yeah. low-carb, actually. Um, and and we were talking about what the research shows with salts and esters. And, and I think you and I have had a discussion about their utility as a recovery tool. Yeah, yeah. Actually yeah. more. Um, but despite that, I take on board the ketone salts before a higher intensity exercise. Yeah, yeah. And I do actually notice it. And I don't yeah. – And I mean, hey, it might be the electrolytes because it has 900 milligrams of sodium. Yeah. It, it has might be a the, the calories – aren't as low as what the packet would suggest because they don't actually include ketone calories per yeah. se. I don't know. It's, I mean, the reason I had, I mean, I had raced with this 1-3-butane dial for nearly every single race I'd done in the lead up to Kona. Mm, and mm. I'd always had a good race, so I was not going to not take it for this race. Yeah. You know, like every race I'd ever used and used it, I'd always had a good race, so I was just thought, well, it's not doing me any harm and I seem to have good performances. Yeah, yeah. I think with the salts, you do have to be... Specifically for longer distances, just because the sodium content's so high, yeah, um, and you know it can affect the gut permeability and and whatnot. So I I think that's why the one, you know, the one three butane dials good. There's I've actually been doing a bit of work with Delta G. Yeah, I've um, seen them. So they have the net. That's um. So the human ketone, um, it's the same formula, but okay. they've just so they were going like B two B two B because it's the Oxford formula, right, from Oxford yeah. University, but now they've launched around, which is, and I've been using that, and I've been really impressed. They have like a, um, they have something that's called the tactical, which is just a pure ketone. And I just have one teaspoon of that in my coffee in the morning, and I get a good a good kick. Do you want to give me some before I go? I've used it all. Mate, yeah. damn it, this would have been the perfect opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah. Is it actually widely available? I think it is quite widely available, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I have a bit of the performance. So they've got they've got different ones. They've got a performance one, which is kind of a bit weaker, mm. um, which is mixed with a blueberry flavor. They've got the health one, mm. um, and then they've got the tactical, which is a pure ketone, really strong. You, you, if you teaspoon it, you will be dry retching in the corner. It's, really? It's, it's one of the, like the pediatria version. Oh, it's horrific. Them. It's really horrific. So, um, but I've I've been... I think, so my theory with ketones is, and this is what I want, I'm doing a bit of work with Delta G is, is that I think it's the dosing is dependent on your fat metabolism. Yeah. In that if you have a high fat metabolism, um, you probably don't need as high a dose. You need a little bit less. Yeah, interesting. Makes sense. Be, uh, and well, one of the main reasons is because you, it, it will somewhat suppress your glycolysis a little bit. Yeah. So if you've got, you know, people who have a high fat metabolism, the generally glycolysis isn't quite so good. So if you take a, if you take a big bolus of ketones, you kind of, you can end up feeling a bit almost bonked. And mm. lots of, I know a lot of ketogenic and high, you know, people, athletes with a high fat metabolism, will take like these mono, the monoesters where ketones are getting up to like you know three four mm. they can feel like they're almost bonking because they just don't have the glycolysis to support it particularly if they don't take it with carbohydrates yeah interesting so, so and your advice for athletes who chase ketone numbers and i ask this because i see it all of the time yeah like, yeah 
yeah, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, 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 good. You know, it's interesting, yeah. right? Like, even if you listen to the likes of Don D'Agostino and other people who sort of research in the field who have or have a real kind of knowledge around it, like the, I mean, even like what they're saying, saying has changed over times as well with mm. regards to the 0.5 being that arbitrary it's sort of. It's a random number. It exactly. is, isn't it? And, you know, the thing that really drilled this home for me is um, we did a. Uh, 12-week ketogenic study mm. and we looked at um, and there were we didn't call it it was very low carbohydrate diet it was less than 50 grams per day mm. and diet didn't change you know we monitored what they ate we monitored their carbohydrates every day and ketones like the first week they started and went up like you know 1.5 and then over the next like and then over the next um, periods and up to the 12 weeks it just went down 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 yeah you know, just, so you because you're only measuring the rate of appearance so yes so you <laughs> You can be measuring it, but um, it, does that mean because you're not seeing ketones in ketones in the blood after week twelve, you're less ketogenic? You, you're eating exactly the same thing, yeah. so you can yeah. just chase a number, and all that will happen is you'll become more and more severe in what you're doing. Yeah. You'll start because you, you'll go, oh, I need, I need to get my ketones high. You'll go lower in your carbohydrates. You'll start introducing fasting. You won't have enough food. Yeah. So it's just. It's a, it's something, it's like you're chasing your tail with it, really. Yeah. And you'll never end up in a, if you really want to have ketones high, you'll just end up doing crazy stuff that's, that's going to be detrimental to you. Yeah. And, and as I sort of understand it, like if, it, as you say, it's the rate of appearance, if they're not present in your bloodstream, yet your diet has remained consistent, potentially you're just using them, exactly, right? As yeah. a fuel source. Which is where, um, you know, the combination of using the blood and the, the breath, because mm. uh, acetoacetate and acetone, you know, that's that's a better um, signal of how much you're using. So, the you know, you think of the blood as really what's there. Yeah. Um, but then the acetone is really what you can be using over time. Mm. So I think, you know, that's why typically what you will see is if you're measuring both, you'll see... Um, you know, breath ketones will, you'll start, someone will start on a ketogenic diet, blood ketones will go very high, breath ketones will stay low, but over time, the blood ketones will go die down, but the breath ketones will come up, which is why if you really want to get a good handle of it, you need to do both. Do both. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. And as a side note, I had a client who reported that he was fastidiously doing a ketogenic diet, going very, very low, but yet getting a higher uh, fasting glucose actually as, yeah, yeah. You know, in the morning. Happens all the time. Yeah. All and the time. Once he brought his carbohydrate up, yeah. that fasting yeah. glucose went down. Yeah. And, and this is, um, and I have a, I have an athlete who was, especially in athletes because they become so catabolic. Mm. Um, and, you know, cortisol goes up, glucocorticoid goes up, and then, you know, they just get more high levels of inflammation and then the blood glucose goes up. And we, I see it so much is that, that you just have to introduce a little bit of carbohydrate before bed. And yeah. The blood glucose in the morning is a lot lower. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. Uh, on that, what's like, what are your thoughts on fasting? Dan, for you, well, what do you do? Um, I don't really do any fasting. Mm. Um, I do. I mean, I I do some. Um, I think when I was on your podcast last, you know, I talked about that eight hundred calories per day yeah. thing. You know, um, but I, I do times of like severe restriction just to give myself a bit of a reset. But I don't really do much much fasting because. I don't really think athletes. If you're training a lot, mm. it's just a slippery, a bit of a slippery slope. Mm. So. I don't you know, I don't really recommend my athletes to do it that often. Yeah. Um, I'm it's it's interesting like I'm similar and in fact myself like right now 
training for a hundred k, not a hundred miles. Um, so disappointed. <laughs> you I expected. So- I expected more from you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, like, like there's no like even so. Generally speaking, in my normal life, um, twelve hours, which isn't even fasting, but that's generally what it would end up being mm. once I get up have coffee, do my training, breakfast. It's generally been yeah. about 12 hours. Yeah. But right now, and it's not even the uptick in training through the week at all because yeah. my training through the week is like 60 to 75 minutes a day. So it's Or maybe 45 to 75. I thought you were going to say hours a week. Then. Oh, shoot. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been that athlete. No, no, I would have been that athlete. Yeah, but yeah. it's the uh, the weekend training and it's really just, it's just made me hungry. Like I, yeah. like, I just have to eat. So... And you just have to, you know, yeah, like the, it's, the... it's hard to keep on top of it because if you, especially if you're doing long sessions, mm. you know, you, you, you're not eating till 10, 11 o'clock and then, and then it's quite hard to catch that back up, right? So, That's and, exactly and, right. And I always, like I always say, you know, when it comes to diet, I think the most important thing is that you have good energy balance, right? Yeah. That's first and foremost. Yeah. And as soon as you're doing things that puts that at risk, then you shouldn't be doing it anymore, right? Yeah. And and that can even be the same for any diet. If you're even a ketogenic diet, a low carb diet, if that's if that's making you um, so satiated because ketones are an appetite suppressor that you're not eating enough food generally, mm. then that's not good. You need. I mean, that's the most important thing is that you have a new a highly balanced, you know, new, new, well, a nutrient dense diet that you have enough calories to support what you what you're doing right so and i also i see people sort of talk about fasting and and saying you know this i'm breaking my fast at 12 o'clock and and whatnot and i sort of just think it's a waste of the food that you could be eating you yeah, know like yeah. and i think as a nutritionist you know we're all obsessive and, yeah. and we we just grew up that way and that's why we're in the field we're in and i've said that many times and um reaching that balance where you can actually enjoy delicious meals yeah. more often is always going to be better than trying to restrict mm. it down to less often yeah exactly and but it i think like with the, with the fasting though i do think it has its place in like your normal i'm, I'm only yeah. talking for athletes because i think if you're not like if, for example, I went away for a week and I couldn't do any training, I would probably introduce a bit of fasting. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, I know that Peter Atier, he's he's has a great example is that, you know, he has those three levers is that, is that yeah. you know, you either reduce your, you don't eat, you reduce your calories, mm-hmm. you restrict some sort of macronutrient or have some restriction mm-hmm. or you restrict the timings of when you eat. Yeah. And you should always have one of those on go. I always choose like number two, which is, you know, I tend to avoid carbohydrates generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise you're in the sad. Yes. Yeah, no, completely. The old sad. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I guess that's, and I think that's what, that's certainly who I was referring to, the more athlete population. Because yeah. of course, you know, half of my clients are not athletes and they, yeah. they do have metabolic issues, which yeah. does require a real focus on Oftentimes it is eating window or eating frequency yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Interesting on Peter Atia. I don't know if you've seen or clocked on his um, Insta, but he's moved away from his previous protocol of fasting. Uh, he used to fast once a month for like three to five days, right, yeah, okay. um, but found that in fact he's just getting, it's just too getable catabolic for yeah, him. Right, yeah, right, yeah. He needs to take some endogenous ketones then. <laughs> Maybe. Because that, that has been shown to really help with fasting is yeah, to take yeah. endogenous ketones. 
Yeah, it pr- uh, helps protect, it, like uh, helps prevent ma- breakdown. Yeah, maintains lean mass. A yeah, lot. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. he's actually shifted to a, a different, like still an eating window, but instead of fasting during the morning, he'll he'll eat a lot less in the evening time. Yeah, and, yeah. And sort of like quite, front quite loaded. Severe though. It is quite severe, and it's interesting. His um, it, there are the pediatricians out there, which I love following, not because I want to emulate what they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you just get real insight into some of the impacts that these things mm. can have i mean even when at that that 800 calories a day that i did and it was great i actually really enjoyed it and i felt like i really got a good boost from it mm. but like when but kate my wife when she did it she's she was just said she was so hungry the next week all yeah. the time yeah yeah you know so you know but um but i mean i loved it and i i because i've done i did that and i've done the uh, fasting mimicking diet and i found it so much better so much easier mm. um, my blood glucose was so much more stable and a little mm. bit higher whereas when i went on the fasting mimicking diet my blood glucose was like down in the twos yeah interesting you know? yeah. it was just i added a little bit of protein and i could train a little bit more i wasn't as cold yeah i mean the fasting mimicking diet is brutal yeah i yeah. haven't haven't done it and you know okay. and i'm not i don't think i would get any benefit from it at this yeah. point in time in my life yeah. um what i do have as you will know is my monday's matter program um that's actually being released um, um registrations open <laughs> next week as we record this podcast you're doing um isn't that a second run second, second run, run yeah, yeah 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 and um what does it what is it monday matters what yeah happens? it is it's protein sparing modified fast uh, okay. so just for one day no it's it's tiered so if you have five kilos or less to lose uh. it's one day a week uh between five and ten would be two days, right? Okay. Uh, and more than ten would be three days. Okay. So is that is it? So is low protein? No, no, high protein. High protein. So, so you only have protein. So you don't even have vegetables on that day. It's, uh, it's low calorie, so it's around about eight hundred. So calories it's very similar to the um, to the eight hundred one that I did. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's and but appetite is so much better regulated on that. Yeah. I think than in the yeah. um, the sort of fasting mimicking all the five yeah, two. Yeah. But in addition to that, you also have the diet break at the end of the fortnight. Because I think right. that's the the key element that is missing in a lot of the programs is allowing people to practice maintenance. Yeah. Because losing weight's actually super simple, yeah. which is what the 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 program is for. It's a fat yeah. loss program. The key and the goal is to, you know, give people tools to help them maintain that loss over time. Yeah. It's yeah. Challenging. I mean that's why there's a weight loss industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also like, you know, with with, with any of that ca- that calorie restriction, severe calorie restriction stuff, there's there's more to it than weight loss as well, right? Mm. There's so much. I mean, the one of the things that I really like about the 800 cows with a bit of protein is, you know, if you look at it from specifically, for example, NAD boosting, yes. um, you can do other things as well. Yeah. Like you can actually still do the other things that are really beneficial overall to boosting your you know, NAD and therefore your longevity and health. Because you can exercise, yeah, you can still keep a bit of protein in there. Yeah, so I think it's, uh, yeah, no, I um, what uh, what was I going to say on that? I was going to finish off something, but I can't remember now. No, okay, that's all right. Barry can edit that out. Yeah. Um, on that NAD boosting, did you hear David Sinclair on uh, the latest Joe Rogan? No, he's an interesting guy. Uh, I think he dyes his hair. I think he dyes his hair. <laughs> Actually, so, so there were a few, Sorry. A, a few key things which he did on that podcast, which just really kind of ruffled my feathers. If uh, I had feathers, this is quite like. Uh, well, the it was funny because he does look young, but then there was one. I follow him on Instagram, and then there was one post he did, and I was like, "Mate, 
your hair has changed. <laughs> well, what? Okay, so one of the things which which I'm like, mate, how can you claim to be responsible for your father living beyond eighty when you've just told me that your grandmother lived to ninety five and smoked and drank every day? Yeah, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, NAD, NAD boosters sort of makes me think about supplements. Do you take any supplements? Yeah, I do. I take um, nicotine and mononucleotide. Oh, you do take the yeah. NMN? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I take um, transveratrol as well. Take what? Transveratrol. Uh, that's interesting. Is there good science behind resveratrol? Um, depends on what you're looking for. Um, in terms of like longevity of life, mm. nope. Mm. Not, I mean, it's really hard to prove. But in terms of lowering... Blood glucose? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, interesting. So there's a meta-analysis that's being done on that. And mm-hmm. I, you know, you, the, the thing that I always, for the scientific truth, I always look for a meta-analysis if I really want to know something because that's the ultimate ultimate one. And there's been a, there's a very good meta-analysis that showed that it did lower blood glucose and inflammation, mm-hmm. well, supposedly therefore inflammation. So mm-hmm. um, it's funny because um, – my bu- my buddy who we talked about for Art Green, mm. he was um, he he's been trying CGM mm-hmm. and he started taking the res- um, resveratrol and unbeknownst, he goes he goes could it be possible that the resveratrol could be lowering my blood glucose and I'm like yes it could and you know so it does, so are we talking know. about postprandial or just in general general during the day yeah interesting yeah, yeah. yeah. so generally lower and more stable yeah okay yeah um I. Yeah. I don't know what you've looked at in terms of the black current literature, but yeah. that also has an insulin sensitizing yeah, right. sort of. Honestly, the black um, current stuff, it just seems to be the panacea to absolutely everything in the world, though. I'm, I'm taking just, it. I'm, I'm just I'm, like, the amount of things I've heard about that black current does this, it does this, it does this, it does this. It, it could well be yeah. the amazing super fruit, right? Yeah, yeah. I take uh, MitoQ yep. and I take. Not that you asked me, I'm telling you. Uh, Currens. I've really, I'm so proud of myself actually, Dan. I've gotten into a really good habit around yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And then I take uh, post exercise, I take that in the morning and vitamin D. You should be on vitamin D. I take vitamin D. That's I take good. one. I take 1,000. Is that all? No, 4,000. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> Quadruple the normal amount. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and the, the um, that. That lyca, is it, what's the name of that vitamin C? Lipo. Oh, like, lipos, liposphere. Yeah, yeah. Liposphere, yeah, good yeah. job. And the probiotic from Be Pure. Oh, nice. Be Pure. Um, oh, you've got quite a range of oh, things yeah. up there. It's good. Yeah, Mickey's just looking in my pantry. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest the biggest bot, bot, um, tub of peanut butter you've ever seen in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I completely zoned into that, actually. Yeah. Good call. I love that. Um, uh, and I've been taking, and I take collagen. Yeah. Good green stuff, Vitality. Mm. Um, that's like a good broad spectrum multivitamin, basically. Yeah, right, okay. I take creatine. Um, yeah, I've been on the creatine. Have you? Yeah, well, after we talked, actually, remember we had that chat with Chelsea and I, I got on it and it's been good. Awesome. Yeah, I've been like, I've, been, I've actually just run out. And my hair hasn't fallen out, which is also positive. I know. I was really thrilled, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I was, I was listening to Because apparently it's, you can either get, like, you can get lose hair on your head and grow hair on your face. Oh, God. Well, that has not happened to me yet. <laughs> so I thankfully, know. we're both all right. I've still got hair on my head. You've still got hair on your head, though. So. Yeah. yeah, that's another uh, another Huberman thing. I did actually get a couple of um, uh, DMs in my Instagram after people had listened to that right. and said, Mickey, you like you take creatine and tell people too. Yeah. yeah. And uh and then but 
for anyone listening, examine.com is the best independent oh, um, okay. site for sort of evaluating the literature. And yeah, it is completely independent. Okay, okay. And like everything, I subscribe. And I actually think I bought a lifetime membership. Oh, maybe I'll, have it. I'll check that out. Yeah, my, my morning routine with what I take is pretty, it's pretty hardcore. Like I'll go, so I'll get up in the morning and I'll make a coffee. And in that coffee, I'll have, I have collagen. And that either, if I've got ketones, I'll put a bit of ketone in there. But if I don't have ketones, I'll put the lion's mane that you can see. On oh, yeah, I have bit. that. Yeah, yeah. I put the lion's mane in there. I, I haven't doubled down on it yet. I just think it might explode. Yeah. Too much, <laughs> too much cognitive <laughs> too much cognitive focus. Imagine the lion's mane and ketone at the same time. It would be, could could be messy. It could be messy. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I take my, my supplements, which is um, I get some water. I put the vitamin D in there. I put the M&M in there. Um, I put the creatine in there, so I kind of mix it into one big thing, and then I'll have the um, I'll, the, the pill, the capsule forms as probiotic, magnesium glycinate, nice, and um, and the transveratrol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's expensive business. This longevity stuff, though, it is Far right. Well, well, it's not it, cheap. The the transveratrol and the M and M is yeah. And, you, and, surely you'd write that off as a business cost, though. I know, but you know what's worse is that you. It's just going to mean not only is it expensive, but you live for longer and you have to pay for it for longer. So <laughs> I know. It's, just, <laughs> it's, just, it's a lose-lose. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And and I guess, you know, some people not have real noticeable benefits through taking their supplements. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, the thing is you don't know what you don't know because I could completely remove all supplements and then see how bad I could feel. Yeah. And that yeah. would probably be the only way that I would know. However, despite that, the literature is there to show benefits with things like coenzyme Q10, yeah. like uh, the currents, despite the fact that, as you say, it, you know, currents for, you know, why not currents for the COVID actually? I mean, maybe that's what yeah. they have yet to yeah. uh, sort of research that does everything. Yeah. Um, so I just have to trust that what I'm doing is actually just – at the cellular level, I'm sorting myself out. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same. I think there's there's no harm in that. I mean, it's funny because you maybe reverse the clock ten years ago. I was took no supplements, and I was, yeah. I was in fact I actively said you don't need supplements. You know, because mm. it's like if you've got a balanced diet, then don't bother. But I, I've completely changed my tune because, and also some of the things that I even take, you're not going to get through a diet anyway, right? Yeah. M and M, you're not getting through through diet, right? You I mean you can take myosin, foods that are high in myosin to try and boost your NAD, but it's not going to. And even the M and M, if that's really boosting your NAD, that's also a little bit, mm. you know, the evidence isn't strong. But you're hedging your bets. No, hedging my bets exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And sometimes I feel like a bit of a hypocrite as a scientist. Because I know that the evidence isn't that strong for Eminem, but yeah, I still take it. But at the end of the day, very likely to do no harm. Well, and I think as well, Dan, is that you're—I mean—you're smart enough to know that scientific inquiry is just one line of evidence. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, and whilst this isn't necessarily um, related to supplement evidence per se, but I listened to Chris Kresser and he talks about. Uh, lines of evidence as being the scientific trial, you know, mm. the meta-analysis, as long as the trials are good enough in that meta-analysis to yeah. be, you know, gold yeah. standard. And then you've got the evolutionary biology, and then you've got the uh, clinical experience as well. And yeah. so you'll have things that you know of from your athletes, which you might not find in a clinical trial, yeah, exactly. yet are very real and true and happening yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's just how we have to. I mean, there's some things, like especially like the – like if you list, if you look at like some other things, like for the longevity side, like things like metformin, mm. you know, I I will not take that. 
Okay, so that's the other thing that David Sinclair hilariously said on Joe Rogan. In one breath, he dismissed anyone who had any concerns of metformin around strength training and the kind of the blunting of hypertrophy. In one breath, second next sentence, he was like, I don't take it on my weight training days. And I'm yeah, like, right, yeah. Well, mate, it's not just the weight training, it's the endurance training. It almost it looks like mm. it, it, I mean, there's... The thing is, it looks like it doesn't mitigate any of the benefits of doing the endurance training. So, um, and I mean, some, some of me who endurance train so much, then just the, th- the thing is, like on the NR and the NN side and exercise, I, I see them as quite almost complementary. Yeah, you know? yeah, but yeah. Then if you go into like metformin and rapamycin sort of thing, you just, you just don't. Yeah, I just don't think it. This is complementary to everything else that I'm doing. So I just yeah. And, I mean, that's just adding hundreds of dollars yeah. a month to your regime. Don't need that. No. no, uh, no. Dan, uh, favourite meal? My favourite meal? Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, Kay, she makes this um, – it's a, it's like a lasagna mm. squash thing. Ooh. You know, is it, you know, people probably don't know what a squash is. It's that big yellow thing that you – you kind of scrape it out and it's kind of stringy. Yeah, it's becoming more uh, popular in oh, our supermarkets. So good. So she, makes, yeah. she does that and it's like she makes it with mince and put some chorizo in there. Oh, lovely. And then um, some cheese on top and it's so good. Yeah, that's how And it's great. even better the next day. Oh, it would be because it's those so flavours kind of meld in, you know? Yeah. Mm, nice. That's my favourite. But yeah, I mean, Kate's like... She's, she makes some very tasty stuff. So I don't. I never want to go out for dinner because I don't need to. It's like a no. Got a restaurant right here. A restaurant right here. And it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's real. I mean, uh, and she's all on the low carb. She also makes these like um, um, we sometimes we do wraps, but yeah. she makes these like almond flour. Yeah, nice. So they're amazing. So we'll have like fish tacos and you know in the wraps and or pulled pork. Yeah, nice. And the kids love it too. They yeah. really like it. Like, I mean, our kids, my, my, I would say my kids are, are definitely not low carb. You know, they, they smash blueberries and, um, but they don't really eat any rubbish, rubbish bread or, you know, mm. white bread and stuff like that. But they love the, they just eat these wraps like straight. Nice. She also makes these, just going on. Another thing is she makes these, um, naan bread. Oh, yeah. Made with mozzarella. Oh, and that will be like the fat head recipe. Oh, yes, amazing, right? so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll yeah. have that with like, um, she'll make like a, a just a standard curry. Yeah. Like we'll we have with, with the, I reckon it's a real calorie bomb though. Oh, it would be. Yeah, yeah. but it's so good. So yeah. tasty. But yeah. with all your endurance training, mm-hmm. and how old are you, Dan? 39. Oh, mate, are you? 39 in October. Oh, shoot. You were like 35 in my head. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know. It's because I'm so youthful. It's all, all that. <laughs> it's all that NAD all, listing. All, all that. So, you see, who says because NM doesn't work? Yeah. Hey, um, now. And I don't dye my hair either. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. So, um, now talk to me about CGMs, continuous glucose monitors. First of all, you are, you have been sort of beta testing the Super Sapien. Um, yeah. uh, app, or you were a few months ago. When is that going to be available in New Zealand and Australia? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't know. Um, so I'm on the scientific advisory board for Super Sapiens. Um, I also do a bit, a bit, a little bit of work for them. Uh, but th- it's not. It's basically it's, it's it's to do with the medical practice that getting them getting the Abbott Libra continuous glucose monitors basically validate or not valid or to be not part of a medical 
supervisory thing. So, mm. so the moment it's only available in Europe for that reason. Okay, so. okay, so it's Europe. Yeah. So, um, well, someone had a question: how to get a CGM without the GP hitting the hypochondriac alert button under the desk? Yeah. I could answer that. You do it. You get it from mediray.co.nz. Yeah. However, I think it does really highlight something which I saw on Twitter a few weeks ago, in that. You know, there are people who really think that this continuous glucose monitors for people who are not diabetic are really harmful in yeah. terms of their behavior and um, their obsessiveness. Uh, okay. I don't know, Dan. What do you reckon? I What I reckon is that, you know, you do you really want to wait and until you are too far gone to then understand how food affects your blood sugar or, yeah. you know, healthy people like us, you can actually get some real exactly. value out of it. Because you only know what you know. Yeah. Right? And um, I can guarantee that most people who have who I who I know have put one on, they're surprised by how high and variable their blood sugar is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like, you don't, I mean, do you have to wear it all the time? Probably not. I think... But someone putting it on and and having a period of time where they're actually just understanding mm. um, is really will be really beneficial for someone to have you know once a year or something just to kind of tune in and know what's affecting you because you just you just don't know. Yeah. So. See, I um when I used I've got a few at home actually, and I keep meaning to put one on just because. Yeah, I've got twenty down there. Uh, just twenty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a few more than me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a few here. So. Um yeah. and I um a, a few notable things. Uh, that really spiked my sugar. One was a protein. I love protein bars. I love them. They're not health food at all. Um, There is a brand called No Cow, and it is, in fact, got, it's probably one of the quote-unquote cleanest available, but it does have isomalto. um, What about Quest protein bars? Are they they pretty good? They're not bad. Right. Yeah. I heard that someone was recommending them, and the person who recommended them, I was like, oh. I don't know who it was. Maybe Dom Dogacino might have recommended them. It would be. He's quite a fan of the Quest. Yeah, because if he recommends it, I'm like, oh. Yeah, totally. He's got to know what he's talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll get myself some of those. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all right. They, um, they're, they're from everything they in there is um, organic. Yeah. Um, Cane sugar? That's natural, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> organic cane sugar? <laughs> no, I don't think is actually although people do who do like take their ketones do note that um half a quest is fine a whole quest pulls them out of ketosis Uh, same with this no cow bar so even though it's one gram of sugar uh or one or maybe four grams of net carb my blood sugar spiked because of the fiber in it and that's something which which i noticed so so, um just to get into s fuels because that needs to be discussed right now talking about quality high quality bars um, so the S Fuels Life Bar. Yeah. If you eat an S Fuels Life Bar, you can't even see it. My mate Zach said the same thing. You can't. You can't even. It's like your glucose is. Mate. Total flat. I really want to try it with you can to see what yeah. what the response is as well. Do you know? Um, I've never tried it with the you can. I've tried. Um, I did try the you can. In some porridge and yes. give a big spike. Oh, and yeah. was it the porridge or the can? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's mm. the thing. Um, uh, yeah, that did give. But I think um, also moving forward, I didn't have it. Now I soak it the night before. That might make a big, bit of a difference as well because I had it well hot water on top, so maybe that makes a difference. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, okay, so 
So yeah, I noticed some interesting things. What I want to know, and not just me, but other people were as well, like, so how useful will these CGMs be for within training nutrition? Like what can it tell us if I'm going out, for example, if I go out tomorrow morning to a 20K run and are able to sort of note what my uh, blood glucose is doing through the CGM, what, what benefit is that to me? Um, there's so many, so many benefits actually, uh, where, where to begin. So I think one of the things that people don't, well, let's talk about the way things like blood glucose and the way things that all work. So if you exercise, say you and me, or no, okay, say one person exercises, right? And they exercise at 260 watts for two hours. Um, the level of muscle glycogen, the rate of reduction in the muscle goes down at a continuous rate. And if you take in carbohydrate, the rate of reduction in the muscle glycogen stays the same. So taking in carbohydrates does not affect your rate of reduction in muscle glycogen, which okay. most people don't realize. Yeah. The only thing it does is it it um, affects your liver glycogen. So okay. it tops up your liver glycogen. And then and the liver glycogen then goes out and that's what's topping up your blood glucose and why you're seeing like higher levels of you know, blood glucose is being maintained, right? However, muscle glycogen is still continuing to disappear. Exactly. So okay. muscle glycogen is still continuing to disappear. So if for a very long period of time and you don't take in any food or you, you have a poor fat metabolism ever, you'll, you know, you'll um, eventually muscle glycogen will come down, you'll start to deplete liver glycogen. And once liver glycogen is depleted, muscle blood glucose will start to drop as well. Mm. Um, so because when, with that kind of knowledge, there's a few things that you can start to understand. One is you can use it in training mm. to understand um, if your fat metabolism is improving, right? Because if you think about like the rate of reduction in the muscle, the only way you're going to improve that is through increasing your fat metabolism. Yeah. Like taking in cut food is not going to improve the rate of reduction in the muscular level at least. Um, so if you go through a training intervention, like, and I see this all the time, is that if someone trains at like the same person does 260 watts, if they improve their fat metabolism, the rate of reduction or the time it takes for blood glucose to come down will be much longer, mm. much extended, much more extended. And that concept of durability and how well someone's going to last is, is, is much better. Um, but also you can, during racing, you could potentially use it to, time your carbohydrate based on where you're when you're getting those reductions in rather than saying i'm going to take 60 grams an hour or 90 grams an hour you could kind of take more or less depending on whether you're seeing your blood glucose moving can it uh, tell you how much you need or is um, it more- no i mean not not as a not not say you need exactly 20 grams right now you mm. know you i think you can if you see it kind of dipping you can think right i might take a little bit more right now so qualitatively, you feel that before you'll see it. Yeah. Uh, or at least I'm, I'm trying to think of um, what... Not, not, yeah, you might do. You might do. I mean, also, I think it's, um, it's really... One, one of the things that happened to me the other day is I did... Um, I did... I have, like, my Enjoy IQ um, squad sessions. We do, like, a Zwift squad session every Thursday. Mm. And um, one of my coaches couldn't take the evening session. So and this is a prime example of of where this blood glucose thing really comes into into fruition, and you can see it is that the morning was like it was um I think it was 50, thirty on fifteen off, but it mm-hmm. was like really high power, so big glycogen depletion. I went through the whole day, and I didn't really I didn't forgot about it, and I just didn't take any in any carbohydrate. So 
I would have started my net, and then I had to do another one that evening, and I would have started that with very low liver mm. glycogen, very low muscle muscle glycogen, and I my blood glucose straight away yeah really low and I felt really lightheaded and I actually for the first time in a, I mean first time in a very long time I actually had to get off and take some carbs mm-hmm. um, but the reason being that ha- I mean, it sh- it, to me that shows the importance of exercise timing right try and do two hard sessions in a day and you don't think about it because usually I just don't really do that kind of thing but I did it because I had to um, so yeah so that that shows where um, you know if, if, I, if I you know if you're if you're starting to see big reductions in your in your glucose and you want to maintain performance then you could then take in take something in but again like just because doing more performance or doing more what's more speed doesn't necessarily mean you're getting more training adaptation either mm. so um how come um well as so we just actually published a paper so me uh and jeff Oh Jeff yeah, Rothschild. my mate Jeff. Yeah, you mate Jeff. So we uh, we just published a meta analysis that looked at AMPK activation. Yeah. Um, so AMPK is basically it's upregulated when you have um, during during energy um, when you're really deficient in energy. So you have a change in the ratio between ADP and ATP. So yeah. really, really high intensity stuff. And what was shown, what we showed in that was the rate of um, AMPK activation was highly dependent on ending muscle glycogen. Ending muscle glycogen. Ending muscle glycogen. Okay. Yeah. So, so all things considered, so this is this is where it gets confusing. If the main thing is intensity, like okay. intensity is the main thing. But if you did like ten by three minutes and it was set at a, a set power output, like yeah. most people train, they say, okay, I'm going to do this at a set workout put and they have a program then you will get more at least a um ampk activation through doing um in with a slightly lower muscle glycogen okay interesting so you might you might be a bit you might find it a bit harder but you yep. get more training adaptation so that would be that would uh speak to i suppose uh, depleting glycogen to a point where you then get on and begin that at low muscle glycogen yeah. and you don't and there's no way of really measuring that unless you had a biopsy but just by virtue yeah. of training, you, you yeah. that will you but it, know, do yeah, it. exactly. But it's also dependent on the type of training. So you're probably going to see more benefit from doing it like not at that kind of mid zone, but so between your VT1 or aerobic threshold and anaerobic threshold. That sort of training is when you're going to see the most benefit from doing that because once you go a really high intensity, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore because it's just a high intensity. And you had the the confounding factors of all the metabolites that are upregulated through high intensity exercise. It completely wipes out any nutrition. Okay. So yeah. intervention. So the only time you would do that really to get more training adaptation would be through um, that during that kind of tempo kind of yeah, tempo yeah. sort of efforts. Yeah. And would that be something that someone would look to do in their base phase training or into key training? Like, because we often hear that, you know, in order to help upregulate fat oxidation, fat metabolism, that's something you want to do sort of in that base phase before you go into um yeah i mean i think or? i think it, i think it's more dependent on uh, like uh, it depends on so many things is if you if you're kind of time poor yeah you know that might be a good way to do it you get a bit more bang for your buck with your training oh yeah but if you're um if you're training a lot already and it's all you can manage and it's going to be harder yeah so maybe don't don't do it yeah, depends, yeah it just depends on where you're at with your training cycle and what you're capable of yeah like for someone like me for example i don't get i you know i don't train anywhere near as much as i possibly could train so i'm always kind of a bit underdone yeah so for me to go out and do like 
so for example, I do like eight by eight minutes on the trainer, just around my 70.3 power, you know, doing that in a slightly depleted state might be a bit better for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Dan, going to shift gears a little bit, talking about HRV, Mm -hmm. something I know next to nothing about. I know nothing about it either. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So someone asked, um, I've, I've got a few comments in and around this question, however, but not really related to HRV, but is there a relationship between HRV, heart rate variability, and blood pressure? Blood pressure? Yeah. I would. Uh, um, I know there's a relationship between HIV and blood glucose. Yes. Um, but is there a relationship? I would imagine that there is a relationship between people who have hypertension and lower HRV. Yes, okay. Um, I mean, it would, it would make sense. I mean, you think about how people get high blood pressure, they either, you know, they've got... Uh, smaller veins and arterioles right mm. and bioreceptors when you um they they are linked to the autonomic nervous system to detect stretch so that's why when you have a lot of blood plasma volume expansion hypervolemia the bioreceptors detect that stretch in the veins and arterioles and they'll increase parasympathetic activity okay so if you look at the other side of that yeah where someone who's got hypertension has probably got smaller veins and arterioles then they'll have um you know, they will probably be more sympathetic because they've just not got the same amount of stretch. That's me kind of taking a bit of a no, phys- like physiological guess at it, but I would expect that would be the case. And I mean, HRV is a great indicator of all-cause mortality and overall health anyway. Yeah, um, of so, which blood pressure is also. Exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure the two would be interrelated. Yeah. yeah, and also a lot of hypertension is related to insulin resistance. Yeah, yeah. Which would then, of course, and, and, bring in... And too much salt. And too much salt. Stay away from the table salt, everyone. No, we're just joking when we say that. Yeah. Well, table salt, maybe not, but you want to get the... But not good salt's okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay, so the next question was, what are the best interventions to increase heart rate variability and lower blood pressure, which I feel almost like, you know, if you're going to be increasing your HRV, even though you're talking mechanistically how they're related, though we're not necessarily 100% sure, it's going to affect you. Yeah, so why don't I just say how to increase your HRV and then we assume that if you increase your HRV, you might. Yeah, drop your carbs to lower your blood pressure and lose weight, basically, is my advice. Yeah, well, I mean, the losing weight thing is massive Mm. anyway because what was I reading the other day? It was looking at eggs and cholesterol. It was a study that was looking at eggs and cholesterol. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, And basically it was like if you eat eggs and you put on weight, your cholesterol will go up. If you eat eggs and you lose weight, your cholesterol will go down. So, so, Is it the eggs? Exactly. So... so, um, but yeah, but the, I think the main things when it comes to HRV, the main thing is um, that's been shown to have the biggest improvement is low intensity endurance exercise. Dan, okay, so I have always been scared to look at HRV. Mm. I'm just scared mine's going to be low. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if yours is low. I mean, people are so varied. It's all about knowing what yours is and then seeing how you can improve it over time. So or relative to the... relative to yourself, okay. yeah. Okay, because you have a yeah. whoop. Yeah, I'm wearing a whoop right now, yeah. And that measures your HRV? Yeah. What made you decide a whoop over an aura ring? Um, not that it's, not that you had to make that decision, I just assumed. No, well, well free, go on. Can <laughs> 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 I say that? Aura ring wearing that didn't send me Thank one. Thank you, whoop. And then whoop um, were very kind enough to send me one. And, and I really like the whoop as well. With whoop, it's really good integration between 
um, HIV and, tra- and training as well and some of the things that you can journal and see what's affecting HIV. So I do think that's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So back to then, if the, the best way to inc- increase your HIV is that low intensity. Yeah, so specifically below the aerobic threshold. Yeah. That's the most important. So what you typically – and we, we published some, a paper that was published in the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance that showed – Low-intensity exercise will typically boost it. High-intensity yeah. exercise will typically send it down. Okay. That's kind of obvious because if you think of the what HRV is doing, um, it's when you increase your heart rate, you do so through a withdrawal in parasympathetic activity. So, yeah, of course. So, and then when you go into high-intensity exercise, you you increase heart rate through activation of sympathetic activity. So you then you you producing your catecholamines they're going into the system and then you know that's there over time and that's why if you do high intensity high intensity on high intensity you'll suppress your hrv quite a lot however if you use high intensity judiciously as part of your training over time there should be a net benefit net benefit but it's about that's where the balance becomes really Mm. important Mm. like blood pressure like if you do a strength training uh session your blood pressure will go up yeah but it's not like you we should never do strength training exactly and it's um and it's the same with blood glucose if you do high intensity exercise your blood glucose will go up Mm. um but over time the net is beneficial Mm. but if you did it day in day out Mm. continuously with no rest Mm. um eventually it's going to you can be the one straw will break the camel's back and you'll have some negative outcomes. Take note, F45ers. Oh. Basically. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't, I'm not saying never, never say never because yeah. the whole thing appeals to me a little bit, but no time for that right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so another question on HRV, and I don't know many of the people who, um, I didn't write the names of the people for these questions, but I know this comes from my mate Viv Hazelton. She's lovely. Um, Hi, Viv. HRV, <laughs> how do they work the average of the HRV out? What do you mean? Okay, so... Average of the HRV over... So, over, yeah. Ah, so oh, right. Baseline um, HRV. So, they basically, they they wait until you have a period of three to four days and then... And then they average out the HRV? Then they look at your... Depends which platform you're using. I mean, so, like, for example, HRV for training... It will, you know, it will get the minimal period and then give you a baseline, but then that baseline will kind of expand. And usually it's about a week, a week of data and then it'll, you know, that week will be a moving kind of average. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I'm not sure how other platforms do it, but, um, you usually get a small, the, the smallest minimal amount of baseline you can get, which is usually two, three days, which is pretty inaccurate still. But yeah. then over time, at least it gives you something to start with. Then over time it gets, more and more accurate. So, okay, okay. Yeah. Should I be measuring my HIV? Yeah. In Trick. Yeah. Do you use HIV in your new platform? Yeah, we do. So Trick. Um, so we use it. we every morning has a kind of a readiness score, but we don't just use HIV. And it's the same principle that what we applied before. What I talked about before is that it learns and it will, um, you know, get, it'll get the the baseline, mm. and then also it will um, with that baseline how you report so every morning you'll go okay from what we've seen the day before you did the day before we assume you're this and then if you actually um say you're different it will kind of learn and Mm. kind of keep on adjusting to try and get your own individualized recovery rate um but we we don't just look at hrv we look at hrv and resting heart rate the day-to-day variation in hrv motivation to train uh, muscle soreness and mood Okay. And all those factors give you one recovery score. Okay. Yeah. And um so and the training you did the day before. 
Okay, so Trek is then for a platform, like a coaching platform. Um, it's a training platform. Okay. Yeah, at the moment. I mean, I think in the future it will be good for coaches as well. Yeah. But it's a it's a dynamic training platform that will set a training program and auto adjust to your availability and adaptations to the training. Okay, yeah. awesome. It sounds super exciting. We haven't even really talked about what it is or why you're doing it or anything like that, um, which I've just realized. And we talked about it prior to coming oh, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah, now, yeah. Now you're thinking, oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. I've got it. Like, so it's, so Dan, you've been working on this for like a while now. Yeah, a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what, so who is it for athlete-wise? Like, is it taking the place of a coach? Is it? Yeah, I think it will take the place. I mean, whether it's ever going to be as good as a human coach, I mm. think, but I think we can get it. I mean, it's going to be more responsive generally. I think one of the... <laughs> than a human? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, even everyone knows that, you know, you can be coached by uh, an online coach. I think it's going to be better than your average online coach. Mm. No offense, online coaches. But, you know, the people, coaches who have got like 30, 40 athletes, they can't respond in time, whereas this will automatically do it very, very quickly. Yeah, um, awesome. Or they're just on the fly based on the session that you just did, it will change it. So it's on that continuous loop. It's like, you know, what what should I do? How did I do? What should I do next? You know, that yeah. continuous loop of, of analysis. Um, yeah. And what athlete is it for? Just the triathlete? At the moment, it's just triathletes. Um, but the idea is that we will eventually get into running and cycling. And yeah, we went for triathlon first because obviously I know a little bit about triathlon, but also it's kind of the most complex. So we mm. can turn things on and off. And um, yeah, so, you know, t- you can just basically turn off swimming and swimming and running and have cycling. Mm. Um, but yeah, it ta- it, what it, the main thing is it does is it, it uses your wearable data and your values to try and understand what your individual recovery rate is. And it, you know, it goes for an optimal training intensity distribution of high intensity and low intensity, but it won't allow you, if it doesn't feel you well, you're recovered enough, it won't allow you to do a high intensity session or swap it for an endurance type session. And, you know, trying to always meet your availability and your hourly, you know, how many training hours you want to do a week and things like that. So, yeah. Sounds pretty exciting. Is this like, are you excited by it? Yeah, very excited. I think it's going to be big time yeah it's going to be the next big thing I think. i'm hoping i mean and also like i mean people have so much data and it doesn't do anything and at least now it's actually going into making informed training decisions which most people just sit and look at that i mean any hrv that people don't know how to actually interpret them mm. and put it into your training mm. and this will actually do it for you it'll change your training based on what the actual wearables is saying and the training you did the day before so if you did a massive training day and you went you know, you're supposed to do two hours and you went out and did five of your mates, it will, you know, it will sort it out for you. So mm, That's awesome. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not, I'm not such a data driven person. And for the, exactly that reason, like I might be able to collect all this data, mm. what would I do with it? You know, yeah. like, and I don't have the time to sort of figure that out myself yeah. and um, I don't have a coach. So, you know, I usually it's just something that Baz and I talk about. Oh yeah. What about, Oh, I haven't, like haven't, haven't done a high intensity in a few days. I might just that sort of thing. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, there is something to that sort of, you know, that in, intuition, that sort of rate of perceived, yeah. perceived exertion and stuff. I like. I quite like thinking about okay, how am I feeling today as well. Have a plan, but also take note of how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah. Like during the session. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm, interesting. 
Alrighty team, so before we jump on and finish off this conversation with Dan Plews, I wanted to give you an opportunity to win some protein powder, which I'm pretty excited about because it is from one of my favorite brands, which is based in New Zealand, it's Balance Sports Nutrition, and it has no artificial colors, no artificial sweeteners, flavors and no preservatives so it's a super awesome product they do 100% whey they do 100% whey protein isolate which is generally really good for people who may not tolerate a casein protein which may promote gut related issues or inflammatory pathways in the body um, they're usually pretty safe actually on a, on, on a whey protein isolate and also though for those plant-based athletes they do a really awesome plant protein powder and their plant protein powder comes with additional branch chain amino acids glutamine and digestive enzymes to help support that digestive process now all of their protein powders have a super high protein ratio of you're going to get at least 21 grams of protein within each serve and low carbs between 1.7 and 2.4 grams and low fat which you would expect from a decent protein powder and that's pretty much it and they come in a delicious range of flavors as well so in front of me right now I've got cookies and cream 100% whey I make my nice cream with this at night which I absolutely love and if you don't know what I'm talking about head to my Instagram highlights and also I've got the salted caramel and that's a plant-based protein one and this is your opportunity to win either your choice of 100% whey or the plant protein protein powder from balance and what I need you to do is hit my Instagram story and I'll pop a little box up there for you to answer your question in and this will be on the Wednesday when you listen to it but I'll save it to allow those of you who may listen to this later on in the week uh, to also have that opportunity to answer this question. What is Dan's favorite food? Now he's mentioned a few of them, a few different meals so if you can remember what he said pop it down in the box on, on Instagram and um, we will uh, choose randomly, we'll use one of those little computer generated um, varieties to send your choice of either whey or plant protein. And we'll choose a couple of people, obviously. So we've got more than just one to, one to give away. And hey, you've got nothing to lose, right? Because how awesome is it that you get free protein powder? Now this is at the minute only open for New Zealand based listeners, I am sorry. But regardless of where you are, please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Dan Plews. Totally is. So, so before we get on to these last final questions, Dan, how's lockdown going for you? Um, yes. Do you know what? I don't really mind lockdown much. I'm kind of not that sociable best of times. <laughs> you know, it's not. I actually, I actually really don't mind it too much. It's. I think it affects. You know, it's harder for. I definitely, it's definitely harder for my wife than it is for me because I, you know, I have to keep working and and. She, and she doesn't, you know, we don't have the help with the kids. I think that's the main, yeah, the main problem. The main, so you know, it is a bit disruptive because I have, you know, I can't work as much because I'll try and give her a break as much as I can. But um, but I actually don't. I mean, I don't mind it too much. And the main thing that bugs me is not being able to ride, you know, go out cycling and do a decent amount of cycling. That kind of 
was a bit of a bug, but um, no, it's going all right. Surviving, surviving. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just fortunate that work doesn't really change that way, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't really get. I'm, I'm very. I feel for the people for the the people out there who where the business is really affected, you know. And I'm just fortunate and thankful that that's doesn't really affect me too much. Really. Yeah. Here we are. I I think it's really easy to sort of just go a little bit um, into your own head and into your own situation and sort of go a bit woe is me. And I it's it's interesting this time around with lockdown. Like I feel a bit differently about it than what I did the first four times we were locked down. But equally know that at least we're not in Melbourne where they're continuing to be locked down indefinitely because. I don't know, Delta's running rampant or whatever. So pretty lucky in that respect, I suppose. And I think there's a few riots over there as well with people like rebelling against the lockdowns as well now. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you gotta, I mean, you, you got to be grateful for what you have some, most of the time, all the time, really. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, not able to get out cycling, but you're doing some good training inside? Yeah, I mean, I can get out. I get out and uh, I'll run outside still and um, can't swim, but I have a, my Vasa trainer, which is pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll go and I will, if the weather's good, I have been riding out within the restrictions, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. I mean, it's that mental, that mental clarity uh, as long as I can get to do my bit of training today. Still getting my sauna and my cold water immersion done, which has been good. Because that's at home, so pretty fortunate for that. Count my lucky stars you know, for that one. Oh, look, I've been thinking about that, actually, um, because that's the one thing I haven't had access to over this time is the sauna. And I was thinking about all the people I know who have saunas at their house, and, and of course, you're one of them. Although quite lucky, we've got a, a little tidal beach just down the road from us where it's entirely safe to dip your toes in. So I've been doing that. I no, I haven't been doing that. I did that once actually, and um, now that spring is here, I think psychologically it's going to be easier to to do that mm. all safely and legally, of course. Of course, of course, yes. Yes. So, Dan, what I'm going to do is get to these last few questions. Um, the first of which, one moment, call. I just had them up actually. Oh, uh, okay. First one, Dan, um, how are you going with Super Sapiens? Are you still measuring your glucose at the moment? Not right now. I'm just showing you the back of my arm. You can see I've got the little mark where it's been. But um, I actually took one off. I took it off like two days ago because it ran out. But um, I, have been, I have been using it quite religiously. Yeah, yeah I haven't used it. Um, yeah, I'm still part of that and still using it. So. Um, yeah. Did you see Alex Hutchinson's sort of review on continuous glucose monitors for sport performance that he published on Outside Online? No, I didn't see it. Um, but I think someone forwarded me the review of it today, actually. Mm. Um, but I haven't opened that. Someone someone sent me it. Was it, was it positive, negative? Um, it was probably just a little bit of, it's a little early to say how useful this is going to be for performance. I think like, so yeah. they talked a little bit about um, some case studies, um, some on the elite athletes and how it didn't, well, uh, who was that? Kip, Kipchoge's used one and, and is using one. And yet, yep. yet his data is remaining sort of top secret as they're sort of working through how they're going to utilize it to help improve his performance. And I suspect that 
you know, that'll come out in time. But they talked about this other British um, runner who I believe he just broke the, um, I'm going to say under 23 half marathon record um, in the UK. I may be wrong about that, but the, he used one to see whether it was going to, that knowledge would help improve his performance. But unfortunately, he had carved up so much before the race uh, because in a, in a previous race, he had had dipped below with his blood glucose levels. So I thought, right, I'll give this a go to see whether if I know what my glucose levels are at, can I optimize them to help avoid that from happening in the race? But he ended up uh, chowing down on so so much carb before his race, which I'm not saying is a bad thing because he went out and then smashed that record, um, that his blood sugars were off the chart. And really that CGM was data wasn't even um, able to be used. So, which I thought was sort of interesting. So, it was, you know, you'd probably read it and then come away from it thinking, well, that was an interesting read, but you don't really learn a lot from it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think there's so many things to be had from it. I think, you know, Super Sapiens, they, they, you know, they're looking at it from very much a performance perspective, but I'm thinking it's going to have more applications for general overall health, of course, but that's not a sports related. But then I also think it will have big implications for substrate use. And figuring out if you're if you're shifting your substrate from more of a fat based fuel to a carbohydrate based fuel because if you're if you are um, if you have good fat oxidation, what most people don't realize is that um, the muscle glycogen depletion if you're taking in carbohydrates it doesn't actually change. So your muscle glycogen depletion rate is the same regardless of when you're taking in carbohydrates or not. The carbohydrates that you're taking is only having effects at a, at a liver level. So mm-hmm. if you're um so if you're imp- if you're if you're exercising specifically around the top of your level two so just be- just below the aerobic threshold it's kind of at that level where you know there's not a lot of um of sympathetic drive there's not a lot of um, carbohydrate burn so you'll get pretty fast depletions in your blood glucose but if you get a better fat burner you should be able to remain stable for longer. Mm. Um, you know, there should be it should be quite flat. But if you're quite a lot of poor, pure, a poor fat burner, what happens is your muscle glycogen depletion rate will be higher because that's what we know, and that will, that will definitely change. But as a result, it's only a matter of time before your liver glycogen starts to come down. And once your liver glycogen is down, then you'll get depletions in your your blood glucose. But if you've got good fat oxidation, that whole process is a little bit slower. Mm. And I think that has big implications to athlete durability specifically. Um, I mean, that's something that we're looking into a lot in our lab at the moment is this concept of athlete durability is how, um, you know, why, you know, there's one thing that you can measure someone's threshold, be it the aerobic threshold, but how long can they maintain that for and how does that change over time? So one of the studies that we've got going on at the moment, it's basically you do a lactate test, which was it's like, you know, it's a step test that takes you just over your aerobic threshold, two hours at, um, just below your VT1. Um, and then another lactate test, and we see how that lactate test changes after you do a long period of exercise. And it's been really interesting because um, you can get two athletes. Like we, I, I have me, for example, mine didn't change at all. Like I mean, I'm quite doing Ironman. I'm quite durable. Obviously, I have a mm. good fat oxidation, and my my lactate levels and was exactly the same pre post. But you get someone else, and that two hours is at the exact same relative exercise intensity, and literally they can't even finish the second lactate test. And I think that is largely to do with substrate use. Um, a lot of it will be due to substrate use. We're not sure why at the moment because we're kind of just in that cute phase, but I think it's to do with substrate use. And I do believe that 
in those athletes who have poor durability, you will see significant reductions in blood glucose over that two hours. So I think that's where it'll have its its use more than anything, really. Yeah, interesting. So in that longer duration, well, first of all, the type of um, athlete. So if you're a better fat burner, then it may be less. I mean, you may be able to. You'll be able to see that because you'll get that much more steady glucose. It will be less likely to decline as quickly. Yeah, but then I suppose over a long duration um, race or training. A just a, a less of a decline or a slower decline. Yeah, it, it, but it depends on the intensity. So if like if you're doing, I mean, it depends how much fat you're using as a fuel. So at a very very low intensity, you could almost be 100% fat using fat as a fuel. So you could be quite stable for you know, four or five hours, even if you if you really if you're at a low enough intensity and you've got good fat oxidation. Um, so there's there's, a lot, there's the intensity is critical when you're considering what you're actually expecting to see. Um, mm. And like, in fact, in, we're just launching a course, um, LET 104, our athlete monitoring course, and, I, and one of the module 10 is all around CGM, and I get into the details of how you can use it to um, to look at substrate use and also uh, recovery because um, specific spikes in blood glucose uh, at rest can really be linked to um, inflammation or recovery. Um, specifically in athletes after rest days. So typically what you can see is that if you're if you have an athlete who typically they wake up in the morning and they have like a say let's talk in milligrams per deciliter and they're at eighty milligrams per deciliter in the morning fasted. But then after a rest day when they've not done any training, they are, you know, 190. That's a good sign that they're probably a little bit overcooked or they're dependent on, they have some kind of insulin resistance or underlying issue because they, they're so dependent on exercise to, to stabilize their blood glucose. Because one thing that exercise does is one is it's, you have insulin free glucose uptake. So you don't really need insulin to, to take the, you know, to utilize the glucose and put it into the muscle. But also, one thing that I didn't realize and after doing some research is that interleukin 6, so IL 6, it's both pro inflammatory and anti inflammatory. So during exercise, IL six, interleukin six is one of the main re- is one of the main things that actually uptakes and reduces blood glucose. Um, mm. So that's another reason as well. So if you're exercising a lot, you get these two methods that are really great at stabilizing or removing and giving you good blu- good blu- good blood glucose levels. But if you f- you don't exercise and suddenly they spike, it's a good sign that maybe you could give a bit of rest or, or need some recovery. And what is it that is accounting for the raised blood glucose if it's not um, as a result of just the fact that exercise will lower your glucose so you wake up with a lower glucose level? So what's going on there? Why would my blood glucose be higher after a rest day? Yeah, after, well, it's a training that you've done before it, I think is the main reason because um, if you're doing a lot of specifically high intensity, you're not recovering from the exercise and you have a lot of sympathetic activation. Yes. There was a paper that was published um, that actually specifically showed that glucose tolerance, so they did this specific period of overload training and it showed that mitochondrial respiration was when it was poor and it showed that mitochondrial um, function was lowered. And one of the other things that it showed was glucose tolerance was also worse. Mm. And it was all linked to the exercise, specifically doing this overload period that was very linked to high-intensity exercise. So if you're seeing those sorts of things, it can be a sign that maybe you've got your training intensity distribution wrong, you're not sleeping well enough, you're a bit sympathetically activated. And, you know, this could tie in also quite nicely with what you would see in heart, things like heart rate variability and 
and sort of things like that because the two are, are so interlinked. Um, there's mm. a great there's a great review, and I can't remember the name of the author, um, but there's a review on that whole cascade of um, of the endocrine system and hyperglycemia and the stress response. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try and find it. I'll try and find it for you. Cool. Because often, you know, people just assume that as endurance athletes, we spend so much time utilizing that glucose that we're going to be, you know, that our blood sugar control and our glucose tolerance is actually going to be, you know, it should be favorable as opposed to having any issues with it. But you do hear, though, more and more of those athletes that might go to their doctor and actually present with almost pre-diabetic, I don't like pre-diabetes as a term, but with that higher blood sugar level that might look like you're actually more of a sedentary type person with metabolic issues and not the fit person you thought you were. And it, and it, honestly, I see it all the mm. time, all the time. Like the amount of athletes who, who are just cruising around all day with, um, you know, they wake up in the morning and they're at like 90 to 100 and they're cruising around the rest of the day in the 110 to 120s. And I see it all the time and it's and it's it's not even that uncommon, yeah. honestly. It's like, in fact... It's almost 50-50, Mate. you know, with the athletes that I work with, but, you know, and the swings that they get, it's not, it's not surprising at all because um, if you don't, if you don't pay attention to it and you have that mentality, it's like, I'm an athlete, it doesn't matter. Particularly if you're an age group or you're an older athlete, um, that's, that's what's going to happen for sure. It's definitely what's going to happen. So. Yeah. And Dan, from a diet perspective, those people much more so than say your metabolically healthy young athlete is going to benefit from reducing down that carbohydrate load and actually having a much more appropriate I don't know like a yeah and, and a, looking at strategies to help improve the fat oxidation basically I would think yeah and I think it's I think it's twofold there's one is as the diet side and also the other side is the um the training intensity mm. distribution mm. the balance because yeah, you know, if you do do too much high intensity, it is becoming more and more clear, specifically that anaerobic work, you know, it doesn't do you any favors in terms of your mitochondrial function. It has benefits. It has benefits from a performance perspective, of course, because there's many other things that go on. But I don't really think there's actually that much need from a health perspective to do real super, super anaerobic intervals, you know, like your kind of your 30 seconds on with, you know, like six minutes off that kind of thing. I just don't think there's that that much need. I think there's yeah, from like VO two max based intervals, where it's you know maybe thirty on, thirty off, or something like that. I don't think those real purely anaerobic ones. I just don't think there's that much benefit in doing them from a overall health perspective, personally. You know, I I was chatting to um someone on my online platform, and they'd just completed a couple of days ago seven hours on the trainer, three hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon some kind of like competition they were doing and I think unfortunately like lock I mean lockdown is you know, for some people it makes them really demotivated and they don't really want to do anything but for people sort of in our community I think almost the opposite is true it's like well I can't go out there and smash myself I've got nothing better to do so I'm going to smash myself for like the almost the entire day right um that kind of thing can't be very good overall for your recovery and your metrics either I'd imagine yeah, I th- but I think um, like doing that type of thing is probably better than just smashing yourself with a load, of, a load of high intensity every day. One of the other things that people do during lockdown is continuous back-to-back Zwift races. Oh, you yes. Know, I think it's better to do a lot of, you know, that, that sort of thing's really going to 
really going to pay, but you're going to pay the price for doing that kind of thing, that's for sure. So um, do we know when Super Sapiens is going to be available in New Zealand and Australia? No, sorry, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not that high up on the food chain. I don't know that information. Okay. Okay. You could probably, what, you should send a sneaky email to your mates at Super Sapiens just to ask them. Yeah, I, I, I could, I could. But I don't know, I, but I don't know the answer right now. Sorry. Right. Thank you, Dan. And, um, okay. So what are your thoughts on using DFA alpha 1.75 to locate first aerobic threshold and a 0.5 value to estimate lactate threshold two via HRV? Now, before you answer that question, I will just kind of preface it by saying that was almost like a different language to me. So if you could explain what your, as you're answering the question, what it actually means for those of us who might not have an appreciation, they'll be amazing. Yeah, but you don't ever know the answer yet. I just assumed that you would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so so DFA, DFA 1 alpha method, it, looks, it uses HRV to try and ascertain aerobic and anaerobic thresholds. Um, with the idea in the, as heart rate increases, you increase heart rate firstly by parasympathetic withdrawal, and then past the first aerobic threshold, heart rate increases through sympathetic activation. So what the DFA and well, the DFA A1-alpha method uses, it looks at the correlation between HRV and the change in heart rate. So because the parasympathetic system is much faster to respond, um, it, the correlation between what the HRV is and the change in heart rate is stronger. And as you become more sympathetically mediated, the, the correlation becomes less because the sympathetic system is much slower to respond. Mm. So that what it says then is that when, as soon as you go past a correlation of HRV and the change in heart rate at 0.75, that's supposedly the aerobic threshold. And then the next stage, when you go, when you get, it's less correlated to 0.5, that's the anaerobic threshold. And that's what the DFA A1 alpha method uses. And the really cool thing about it is that it can be done in real time. So you can, you can literally look at fit files and kind of look at, you know, where in some terms of someone's heart, someone's heart rate, the, it's around 0.75 or 0.5. Um, and that's quite new. I mean, HRV to actually expose Aerobic and anaerobic thresholds has been used a lot, and it's used um, like high frequency, like spectral analysis, different components of HRV. But this is the first. This is kind of DFA one alpha methods got a lot of attention recently because of some good publications in the literature, um, specifically around the aerobic threshold. Because we, can, I mean, we can test kind of the anaerobic threshold a little bit through like your FTP tests and. Looking at what you're sustaining for 40, you know, 40 minutes to an hour, what the average heart rate is of maximal exertion. So you can get that, but we, we have really no measure of the aerobic threshold without going to the lab. And from a training perspective, it's critical. You know, eight, we really want to know that, especially when we're looking at like a pyramidal polarized training intensity distribution, because we want to know where we should be doing our low intensity training, what heart rate, what, you know, what heart rate should we be doing that? Um, but anyway, long story short is that at 0.75, the, literature is quite clear that it's a really good way to to test it and it's a really accurate and valid measure um marco altini who owns hrv for training he built a hrv logger app that you can actually download and it will go and do that thing it will actually measure the dfa 0.75 mm. for you um, and i tested it in the lab so i went in 
used the, in the lab, tested against some metabolic data using the um, metabolic cart, and the difference was one beat. So one beat in heart rate. Mm. So it's pretty close from NF1, but other studies have also validated that. But then point set, point 0.5, looking at the anaerobic threshold, because the intensity gets higher and there's more movement, um, it tends to be a little more noisy. And um, I don't think it's as accurate at 0.5 as it is at 0.75. So, um, yeah, I don't know whether, I don't know, I, I would personally, I would look at using some other measure, like more of a performance-based measure for your anaerobic threshold than using DFA one alpha method at 0.75 for the aerobic threshold. Then you've got your two, because they're the two things you need for your training zone, mm-hmm. to, to disciple training zones anyway. You want to know where your aerobic threshold is, you want to know where your anaerobic threshold is. Okay. So, so if someone, yeah. so you say there's the Altina app that someone can download and that can sort of work that stuff out for you if you don't have the opportunity to get to a lab to, to work out your lactate threshold. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, so Marco Altini is the creator, but it's, He's, but his app is called the HRV Logger. Ah, oh, HRV Logger app. Awesome. Yeah, that's the name of the app. Yeah. HRV Logger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so but, Marco, but Marco is the creator of HRV for training. So he, um, yeah, he, he, created, he created the HRV for training app. And now he's also created the HRV Logger app as well, which you can use to, to get your DFA and aerobic threshold. Yeah, nice. So, so if you download that app and you've got a heart rate monitor, so... I remember we spoke about this actually the last time we were together and I said, well, I, if you were like, if you know your heart rate, you can work this out. And I'm like, well, I don't have a strap, but I've got a watch. And you're like, no, 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 you need a strap for it to be accurate. Yeah, you, d- you need a strap, yeah. Because you're dealing with HRV, like you think about what that means, you're looking at the gap between heartbeats. So if you have a, a, a if you're using it from your wrist or even not a very good heart rate strap that has um, a good recording rate, um, you know, it's not it's not going to work because you miss a beat. You're gonna it's going to be all over the place. So you definitely need it from a heart rate strap. And my recommendation would be a Polar H10, and they seem to be the best in terms of the ones that you can use because of the recording rate and the sampling rates are a little bit higher. Oh, interesting. Um, so the, you get you, you get more accurate data with that. I tried it with my Wahoo and I got terrible data. Mm. Um, tried it with the H10 and I got good data. Yeah. So. And does that H10, does it just sort of connect to other polar watches of any sort of type or is, there a, is it a watch and um, strap? Uh, it's, it's only a strap. You can buy the you can buy the strap on its own. Yeah, and it's Bluetooth and AMP plus compatible, so it'll connect with your Garmin. It'll connect oh, with Zwift. It'll connect with the logger. It's quite yeah. It's a really good. It's a good strap. That's amazing because so, so many companies are like, no, no, you're only gonna like this is only gonna connect to something that we we make, and we're not gonna allow you to sort of yeah. you know cross pollinate. Well, yeah, well, for a long time, Polar were like that, but they've um. They've seen the light, and now the Polar H10 will connect with anything. So it's quite handy. That is handy. I, like to me, that just makes so much sense. It means that so many more people will will kind of jump on and buy something like that, rather than have to be sort of stuck at um, at having to either buy an entire system that they don't need, so they won't even bother, or um, you know, look at other alternatives. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and the, you know, if you do get it for the H, just to analyze your DFA one alpha, you you've still got it to use for the rest of the time anyway. So yeah, win win awesome. win win. Hey, uh, Dan, one final question. 
Could glucose monitoring in HRV be used in tandem to provide non-lab, non-invasive physiological parameters? Well, yeah, yeah, I read this question before and I was like, non-physiological parameters to measure what is the question? It's quite, I don't really know. I don't really know the answer, the answer to that because obviously it can measure a lot of things and it's, it's measuring a lot of things. Um, I wonder whether... I was going to say the two together, I think, will provide a very good health metric, metabolic health score, because um, you know one, the two things that we know are very linked to all-cause mortality and longevity are low, low and stable blood glucose. Well, not low, within range, so we're talking millimoles mm. between four and five, and then also a higher HRV. So the two numbers together can be a really good score for. Also, I think for recovery as well. So, you know, they could be in tandem. They could be, they, they are a great score. And, um, I'm working with a company actually at the moment where we're looking at developing a ratio between the two to give you kind of a metabolic health score. So, um, I do think, yeah, it is something that can be used in tandem. And I think in the future, there'll be, there will be something out there that does, does that. But, you know, the question of physiological parameters is like what physiological parameters yeah. is measuring. Blood glucose, which can be linked to inflammation, for example, it's measuring HRV that can be linked to stress. But is it going to measure your VO2 max? No. <laughs> is it going to measure your thresholds? No. But you know, it does, it's doing other things. So yeah. yeah, it depends what the what you, what you want to measure. And in fact, what you're interested in. It did come back to as as I was reading the question and just sort of thinking about it. Of course, we were just talking moments ago about the that blood sugar response using CGMs and and you know having high fasting blood sugar in the morning could be linked to poor HRV as a sign of, you know, as yet another data point showing that you're not that well recovered. So I guess, you know, probably, you know, more and more people are uh, jumping on board the data thing and trying to think of which ones are available that are going to help probably suit what, yeah. what they're interested in and the metrics that they're interested in. It's great that we've just got so many out there now to sort of, um, to use, I suppose. Yeah. And it's all easy. It's, the good thing about it now is that you have all this great you know, the aura ring and whoop and all this. It, you know, it takes out takes out a lot of you having to actually measure and do it yourself because it's just continuous. And I think that's yeah, that's quite it's quite nice. Yeah, so. agree. Um, now just a couple of final little questions, Dan. Obviously, we've already spoken about your favorite foods and the supplements that you take and and things like that. Tell me, um, what podcasts do you listen to? I've just started listening to the Huberman Lab. Actually, that's the first time I listened to mm. it. Um, it was, and it was. I have to say, like it's good on on some things, but I think he gets out of his lane a little bit on other things. I have to say, we spoke <laughs> about that, and that will come up earlier in the podcast. Oh well, there you go. Well, since we last spoke, I've listened to a couple of some really good things. So I did enjoy it. I listened to one recently on um, on fat loss. That was like on the scientific basis about loss, like using things, and I, I enjoyed some parts of that. Sure, uh, but yeah, so I started listening to that one that I always listen to religiously is a Greg Bennett podcast. Um, you know Greg Bennett? He's yep. got a really good podcast. So yeah, he interviews a lot of interesting yep. people. He's also had Tommy Wood on. Like, uh, like you, anything with Tommy Wood on, I'll always listen to that. I really find him quite insightful. Um, and Tim yeah. Ferriss is a regular. Um, Peter Atiyah is a regular The Drive I listen to The Drive and they have mm. some good episodes now and again uh, mm-hmm. not The Drive sorry 
Peter Atiri is a driver. STEM Talk is what I was thinking of. I said drive, but I was thinking STEM Talk. Yes. STEM Talk is quite good as well. Yeah. Um, and then also the Physical Performance Show with Brad Beer. You know that one? That's a good one. Yep. And yep. Um, and this really good one I know called, called Wikipedia. I don't know if you've heard of that one. <laughs> That's quite good one. Do you know what, Dan? No wonder we're both on the same page because you've just basically mentioned most of the podcasts that I listen to. So I feel uh, legitimately smart, actually, because Dr. Dan yeah, also gets his we, information. Yeah, but we know that you only listen to the things that I listen to. You just copy me. So. <laughs> Do you know what? That may not be true on that front, but I certainly bring your name up every time I mention uh, the, the freezer and the sauna. And just to round this up, because I know that Barry is editing this podcast, I will say that surely a fifth lockdown is reason enough to have a look at getting something like that in my house but anyway yeah it's the way forward it is pretty good i reckon you know and that um you know the hoopman lab podcast podcast and it talks about cold as um you know as a way of fat loss and inducing the shiver yes um, i reckon i've i reckon i've definitely leaned up a bit i was talking i was talking to um gordon walker this morning actually and because i i seem to have really been going well in my training at the I don't know what the what the reason is because mm. I'm not like I'm even training that much. And the only thing I can put it down to is sauna and cold water, cold water bath. Who knows? So many things. Do you know, I interesting, Dan, because yeah, I, yeah, I've been going super well in training too, actually, and really recovering well. And up to sort of a few weeks ago, pre-lockdown, I'd also been doing sauna three times a week for at least 20 minutes, in addition to the cold showers and getting in and doing a dip once a week, which is not nearly as much as what I would have liked. So I think that has contributed. But also, I do wonder how much these currents, I've been taking two of these each morning for the last six months, at least. And I really think right. that that's making a difference to my recovery on the basis of both the research, but actually more just the other anecdotal stuff I hear from other athletes that take them. So I'm, I'm quite convinced right. because I did 40K on a Saturday. I did a harder 20K on Thursday, did 40K on Saturday, did 17K on Sunday. I did not feel smashed up the way that I would have this time last year. Obviously, you're talking about cycling there because no one's going to be running that kind of distance. <laughs> Obviously, I'm talking about running because you know what I'm like on a bike. <laughs> that's crazy. That's more. That's more. Even when I was training for Kona, I don't think I ran over like 100k per week, maybe once or twice. Um, yeah. But I know another thing. Another thing that I can't that I have been doing and I've been super um, strict with for probably about six, seven months now in strength training. So that, I just, yeah. who knows, that could be something as well. So I've been doing yeah. that twice a week. Um, yeah. And that, I think that's made, I'm so much stronger. It's crazy, crazy how much stronger I am. Um, I'm super pleased, Dan, because so many, so many athletes in your position, like very good um, world-class age groupers, just, you know, just do the endurance stuff and then stop actually competing for a, period of time because I know that you know you've got plans to come back in some way shape or form and then don't even bother with the strength stuff but continue just to cycle swim and run to the detriment basically like you just end up yeah, getting yeah. slower and weaker yeah it's been it's been amazing like you know I don't know I think I've got so I've got a 16 
maybe it's a 16, a 20, and a 24 kg kettlebell. Um, mm. When I first started, I could not lift the 24 over my head, so I could do a clean and a, like a press up of my head. And now mm. I can, like, I can lift the 24 over my head like not even it's not even hard. And also like plyometrics, doing the box jumps. You know, I started with the plyometrics on the, you know, I could barely get onto the lowest box, but now I'm on the highest box. And I can awesome. do it continuously for a minute, and it's not—it's not even hard. It's That's like, I'm actually now looking for a bigger, I'm looking for a bigger box. <laughs> you know, so it's like, <gasps> so it's, it's it's incredible that, and and maybe maybe that there were some things. Um, but just finishing off as well on the black currant, something that I got sent today is pomegranate juice. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I have actually. Um, in relation to sort of men's health interestingly what have you what have you got well this this was um for mitochondrial health yeah mm. generating energy and cellular health oh I'll you send you the link. I'll send yes you the link. You take, a, take a look totally that'll be awesome yeah and what it's I, interesting what, so uh, potentially before we end this lockdown which we've got you know one and a bit weeks at level four to go you should do a tim ferris workout dan just 20 minutes of kettlebell swings oh yeah that'll make you that'll make you sore i don't know i saw um art green the other day he did he did like 30 minutes of like burpees like just continuous oh. <laughs> it did like a burpee without without the jump like, yeah you're, you're mad you're yeah that mad. is actually madness <laughs> not for me no. Anyway, Dan, so um, thank you. Pleasure. No, thanks for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, we're going to get this one out uh, uh, pretty quickly after the next one. So it'll be nice and up to date and current. Um, so obviously people can find you at uh, Enduro IQ and yeah. uh, at where else? Yeah, so Enduro IQ is the website. Uh, where we've got like um, online education courses that we've talked around and we're just about to release LDT 104 which is all around athlete monitoring um, so I think there's so many I mean there's all the things that we discussed today there's a HRV 10 is 10 modules there's HRV sections the continuous glucose sections the lactate section there's loads of different exciting pieces we've got some great um, guest lecturers um, Dr. Dan Green from from Czech Sudafrido professional cycling team um, Dr. Will O'Connor, who's a bit of a running and power guru. Uh, ben Scott from EIS Swimming Physiologist. And Dr. Ed Maunder, who is um, the physiologist from the lab in Auckland and knows a lot around the area of um, substrate use, specifically with lactate. So that's we're pretty excited to be launching that very shortly. Um, so we've got the courses and then we've got our training squad and, and coaching and one-on-one stuff, so you can check that out. Um, and then also I'm pretty active on... The socials, um, Instagram mainly mm. at the Plus One, so you can um, follow me up on there. We usually have we drop some pretty cool and funky videos, so if you like a good video, you can watch, check out the Instagram. I one hundred percent back that up. Love the your uh, content on Instagram. It's always inspirational. Even if I just look at it and go, mate, I would never do that in a swim session, but you know, the video makes me feel like uh, I should at least you know, give it a bash because it's great quality. Dan, lovely to talk and go and enjoy your lunch. Yeah, it is lunchtime. I'm pretty hungry. Cool. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye. All right, team. That was Dr. Dan. 
was his second time in the podcast actually because he came on earlier on in the year and had a chat with Cliff and myself so always really good to catch up with him and and to see what's new in his world and um, I'm sure that will not be the last that we hear of him on Wikipedia. He's got a lot going on with his Endure IQ with his LDT courses coming together and they've just released LDT 104 which um, looks super awesome looking at all of the uh, data collection sort of piece to it with endurance sports and also of course he's got his TriQ training platform just about up and running as well. But that's this week Next week, super excited to bring to you the chat that I had with Dr. Karen Fasander, clinical psychologist on this whole idea of languishing COVID and how things impact on our mental health and what we can do about it. And we talk about her work. Until then though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, where I share a lot of the research that I'm looking at and also of course just my usual day to day. And you will also check in on Instagram for that competition that we're running with Balanced Sports Nutrition products or head over to my website mickeywillardin.com and you can sign up to one of my fat loss plans, my keto longevity plan or just a meal plan just to sort of sort out what you're doing week to week. I am, as I'm sure you know, an advocate of a lower carb, moderate protein, high taste type approach um, using sort of real ingredients just to provide you with delicious meals week to week so you get the meal plan you get the shopping list you get my weekly email and you get the chance to connect to me one-on-one through our online platform to individualize some nutrition related things that you um, might have any questions on if you like the podcast please subscribe it would mean a lot that's awesome share it with your mates obviously and look forward to catching up next week all right team have a great week <laughs>